This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name's Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. In the last episode, you got to hear a keynote that I gave about how billionaires think and redefining how you set goals. Jay Papazan was with me. He was the colorful commentary for my talk. So if you missed that, go back to episode 79 and listen to it. Then we traded spots. Jay came on stage and he talked about why making more money also means that you can make a bigger impact and how you can give a million dollars away strategically. This is in light of everything that happened has happened with the recent hurricanes. Figuring out how you can leverage your business as a vehicle to do more than just make profit, but to actually make an impact has been very top of mind for us. This is an incredible talk. The room was filled with business owners and the heads were nodding. It was just an incredibly valuable training. So if you liked the last episode, or if you like this episode and you would like one of us to come and speak at your organization, you can go to theonething.com, click on the about page, and there's a speaker sign up form right there, and we can explore and see if it's a fit. With that, let's get into the conversation with Jay Papazian. I feel really fortunate because I get the opportunity to work with so many amazing people in our community and our customers and get to be a part of their world. And they trust me with being a part of their goals. And more often than not, almost everyone is focused on health. And at the core of that is diet and eating a balanced diet. But eating this kind of diet, it's a huge time commitment and it's easy to get knocked off track. That's why it's so great to have a solution when you don't have the time to do the prepping and the cooking and the cleanup, but you still wanna eat healthy. That's why we partner with Factor, and Factor is chef-created, dietitian approved meals that are ready to go in just two minutes. With Factor, there's no prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. The variety of different options and meals that they have is really impressive, but go see for yourself. Head to factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150 to get 50% off. That's code 150 at factormeals.com slash 150 to get 50% off. When Don asked me to speak, like the the gut reaction, like talk about the one thing. And we do that a lot and y'all have a lot of different exposure to it. And we certainly can ask questions about that. But in light of what's happened in the last six weeks, how many people here either personally or just once removed were impacted by the storms that came through? Yeah, it it was a big deal for a lot of us. And it's um, a speech that I've given with my friend Ben Kinney only twice before. I did it once for Hal Elrod at one of his gatherings, and this will be the fourth time in my life I've given it, but it's one of those passion speeches for me. And it's about the journey to being a better giver and why that is so aligned with being a great business person and having an extraordinary business. So in our organization, that's baked into the DNA. You know, my parents were generous. My dad raised millions of dollars. Um, I got to watch him do that in his public organizations when I was a kid. And he definitely taught me the gift of being a part of the community and being engaged in it. This organization taught me to personally start giving my time. It's one thing to write checks. It's one thing to go to fundraisers. It's another thing to actually pick up a shovel and help. And it's really cool. I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely, I, I could be, an owner in so many ways, but I choose to still be, after 17 years, an employee because of the culture of this organization. So if y'all weren't aware, 
you know, we had an event with almost 12,000 people coming to Austin just a couple of weeks after Harvey hit. And we chose to cancel that. At, I mean, an expense that went eight figures for this company to cancel that. We had hotel obligations. We had food obligations. We had the convention center that the city refused to release us from, even though it could have been refugees in the hallways. And almost half the people who had arranged travel, who had paid money, said, don't refund my money, donate it to help the people, and I'm going to keep my ticket, and I'm going to come keep my hotel, and if you'll help us, we will go down there and help. So every day, we had 20 buses going back and forth to Houston so that people who normally work with a pen were using crowbars and shovels to demuck homes. We did, I think, 150 homes. I thought, I thought we had like 80 buses. Um, well, every day it was 20, but it could have been more, the numbers. But it was massive. I mean, I, we had some people in the Army that were now realtors, and they were saying, like, the military would struggle with these logistics. But we've made a commitment in this organization. That comes from the top down, folks, right? The, the leader of this organization chose to be that kind of company, and they wanted to attract those kinds of people. That's the only way that happens, is that they set a vision for a, a company that could be possible, and that attracted the kinds of people who would give up a week of work, all the money they'd invested, to go stand and get bit by a ton of mosquitoes and get very sweaty and bloody. And so that's been on my mind a lot. It's been something we're talking about with our kids every day. And so this speech, you know, I'll give you the origin of where the give a million part comes from. Is anybody familiar with our first book, The Millionaire Real Estate Agent? All right. There's a journey in that book. I'll skip the adulations when we get up to it. We called it the big millionaire model. The first thing you have to do to be a millionaire real estate agent or a millionaire business owner, right? You have to think a million. If you're not thinking the right way, we've been doing those exercises right here. Very unlikely your actions will be correct. And then after you think a million, you've earned the right to earn a million. How do you gross a million from your business? That's a huge stage for most people. Right? That's how you get into EO and some of those organizations. You have to be grossing a million or you don't even qualify. The next big milestone is how do we net a million from this business? Like I want to have a million net on an annual basis. And then the receive a million is how would I become chairman of the board? How could I replace myself in this business so that I was, it was so big, it was still paying me a million dollars, but my role was essentially inconsequential, a few hours a month. Well, I was driving on a hunting trip with my buddy Ben, who I co-present with on this most of the time, and we were talking about giving. We just had a speaker, I'll tell you more about him, named Adam Grant, who wrote a great book called Give and Take, which I'll also share with you, and you can take a picture of it. And I was challenging him because I knew he was very generous. Right there at that event, his favorite cab driver, right? He would always call Christina whenever we went, you know, from the airport to the Austin Convention Center. Um, he'd found out she'd gotten cancer. And she was one of those where her kids had not been awesome, so she was actually raising her grandkids, and her husband was on disability. And so she was the single wage earner for a huge group of people. I remember being invited because we all got on the bandwagon of supporting her because she was this good person in the tough spot. We had like 40 people. She had to hire other taxis to take care of all of her business. I got invited to her daughter's cotillion, which is a little weird. <laughs> but she, she told Ben that she had cancer and she couldn't work anymore. And I'm sitting there right there 
And he wrote a check for $25,000. said, you take this. You got to take care of yourself so you can take care of them. And if you need anything else, I'm going to call you in a month and let's see where you are. And I was getting on to him. I said, Jen, Ben, your heart is huge. Your heart is huge. It's like, are you being strategic? And I was challenging him to think of what's the Ben Kinley Foundation? And that's when he said, well, Jay, I'm going to thank you, challenge you to think bigger. How big and successful would you have to be that you could give a million dollars away from your business every single year? And that's a question that we hadn't asked. And I loved it. So we immediately dove into it and started researching it. You know, what are the challenges people have with giving? Do we have a model for how to give at a bigger level? And I've been learning all of these entrepreneurially, right? Kind of as I go. But there is a purposeful way you could approach giving as a business owner so that not only are you able to create more legacy and good in the world, but you actually could be more profitable. Does that excite you guys to talk about? Because I love it. And I absolutely want to believe that the people who are most generous also can be the people at the top, right? That those are not mutually exclusive goals at all. So this is a quote that um, why we should give. And it's from a guy, I heard this on a podcast. I've read several of his books. If you only master yourself and you don't help anyone else, then we would call you happy. But no one would define you as successful. So the very definition of success must include how much you helped others. If you want to be undeniably successful, you need to both both master yourself and helping others. A guy named Derek Sivers. And that one stuck with me because I believe that's true. I think at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, um, we're ultimately going to remember the relationships we had and built. And any things that we're thankful for or regret are going to have to do with those. And that means we have to be in the business of thinking about others, not just ourselves. Because that's the foundation of those relationships. There's actually science behind this. This is why I geek out, right? There's actually a thing called the helper's high. If you donate money or you donate your time, you will, for a period of time afterwards, be less likely to be depressed, have more energy, sleep better, have more clear thinking. It's like the number of things that add up is kind of crazy. People who volunteer their time, they've done studies for people over 55. They're 44% less likely to die. It's actually as helpful as quitting smoking for someone above 45, 55 to volunteer their time. And so they've concluded, like, can you actually be altruistic at all? If every time we do this thing called giving, we actually benefit as much as the other person. So they've been able to scientifically measure this in terms of happiness and health benefits. Like, there's a lot of reasons to be doing it. The number one reason we don't, you know, often is we're too busy. We're too caught up in the self-focused instead of the other. And we're going to walk through some ways to get through that today. So why don't we give more? I'm going to nail a few of these big ones. Like, what's the point? If you've never given before, and I know lots of young people that have just never been in a position, they've been hustling their whole lives. And if you started a business young, it's really hard to look up. I, we, we interviewed, you interviewed Joshua Dorkin. How many years did he go without taking a day of vacation? Eight. Eight years. That's an entrepreneur, that can be an entrepreneur's life if you're not careful. So they've never experienced giving, right? What's the point? You've never done it. You don't really know why. And I'll tell another Ben's story because he's not here and he, 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 would, he would be hitting me in the shoulder for telling these stories on him. But I love his stories. 
he was going to donate $5,000 to his old high school in Washington State. And every year he sponsored a scholarship because he could barely afford to go to college and he wanted to pass it on. And so he took one of the young people that he worked with that he thought was a great guy, but wasn't very generous. Like he wasn't showing up at any of the charity functions, wasn't doing that. Even though Ben was trying to set that example, this guy was all into his sales. And so he wanted Tim to experience giving. So they're sitting there. He goes, I wanted you to come with me today because I'm giving you the check. And you're going to go to the podium and you're giving the $5,000 today. If you say it's from me and I gave it to you, you can walk out the door with the check. But your job is to go up there and be the person in front of all these high school students who's giving the $5,000 gift. I want you to experience this for you. And the guy came back and he was in tears. He goes, I've never felt that good in my life. And it wasn't even my money. And he goes, every month you earn about 15 grand selling houses. How much would you have to earn to do that every single month? And it got the guy thinking. So most people who've never experienced donating their time or the gift of giving, they don't really know what the point is. I think the second bullet, we need to save money. If you weren't raised with a spirit of abundance, right? It's often hard to see how you have enough left over. I got to take care of my family to look outside that. And that's a mindset issue. I've, I've worked with some folks who grew up very, very poor. And they can be on either end of the spectrum. And they tend to be very polarized. They're either that because they benefited from other people's giving, they are working hard to make sure they can do that too. Or they might have had a thing where they never had enough to eat and they're going to take care of that first. So just understanding that helps people sometimes step behind it. Right? What's stopping you from giving? How much would you have to do in order to earn the right to do that? Usually when you ask it that way, people will take that next step. They're already paying themselves to their 401ks. Right? They've already reduced their income in some sort of way. You can teach them to do that in giving too. A lot of people, right, we look at Warren Buffett, you know, bequeathing his whole company. Was it Mark Zuckerberg? 99% of his stock is going to charity upon his death. These people are doing these huge $100 million gifts and, and bigger. And we're like, well, what difference can we make at the end of the day? You know, for $3, you can prevent malaria. You can provide mosquito netting. For 20 bucks, you can provide education for a kid in Africa for the entire year. For 50 bucks, you could give someone their vision back. So even micro giving can be huge. So everybody can make a difference. I talked about how Gary did a training on building financial wealth. His definition of a wealthy person is somebody who has the passive income to fund their life's purpose. So for you to actually be financially wealthy, you have to have figured out what? Purpose. Your purpose. Your mission is. So we just have to be aware of this. A lot of people haven't started the journey. And most young people haven't unless their parents taught them to. But there's always this opportunity. And I think as business owners, it's not just an opportunity for us to create this. It's, a, it's almost an obligation. That's actually where we're going to end up at the end is how can we educate other people to give because your reach, you're limited in how much you can personally do. But when we teach others to give, we, it becomes exponential, the impact that we can have. So that whole, I can't make a difference. This is a stat that we ran across. The wealthiest 10% of Americans contribute 25% of all charitable giving. And I think the total is about $373 billion on an annual basis is given, is giving every year. 
So that top 10% is the one that we see about. That's what we hear about on the news. Well, here's the other thing. Where does the other 75% come from? Everybody else. And I, I actually took the liberty of going to our in-house KW Cares, and I asked, where does the bulk of your giving come from? And she says, well, you have these moments in time where everybody writes a big check, but on an annual basis, 90% of our funding comes from $25 and $50 donations whenever someone closes a deal. They've like made it like a 401k deal. They've just automated these little tiny gifts, and that's 90% of our funding. I chatted with a fellow this morning who runs a company called the Front Row Foundation. And he has his book, The Front Row, and it's great. He does kind of a make-a-wish kind of thing where he gives someone who is possibly going to die or is threatened that a front-row experience that they want. And it's really cool. And I said, where does your funding come from? He goes, probably 85 to 90% of it comes from ongoing small donations. So every little bit helps, right? We have to get that in our head. Wherever you start, whatever that small domino is, it actually does matter. I was shocked that you could give someone back their sight. They are functionally blind for just 50 bucks, right? So here's the book that kind of helped start that conversation in the car and start us down this journey. I definitely would encourage you at some point, if you read regularly, to check it out or listen to the audiobook. The audiobook is great. But the fundamental thing, question he asked, he's a psychologist, he went to Penn. Um, they were studying compensation in corporations. And they had grouped people into givers, takers, and matchers. So givers are people who think first, how can I help others? Takers are what's in it for me. And matchers, which is a lot of people, are, you know what, I'm going to buy you lunch, but I'm going to resent you if you don't buy me lunch the next time we go out. (laughs) I'm going to keep track. And I'll tell you honestly, I think everybody wears those hats at different times. We're not purely one or the other, but he has a test that helps you identify whether you're a giver, a taker, or a matcher. And they were looking at compensation. And what was really depressing is that when you looked at the top income earners across all these industries, it was actually takers and then matchers. And at the very bottom of the heap was givers. And that was not at all what he wanted to see. And so they went back to the data and they didn't cook it up. They just stratified it even more finely. And what they found is at the very, very top of the heap, like the top 1%, were actually givers. And they started looking, well, what's the difference between these people at the very tip top and the people at the bottom? And he came up with the term strategic givers, right? They were business people. They were going to grow huge businesses. And so they would never do things for others. They would, but they didn't consistently do things for others that would actually hurt them, right? They weren't going to be someone to be taken advantage of. It's like one of the ones that stuck with me is the idea of a five-minute favor. And this is like a billionaire, like all these people in his inbox asking for things. And he said yes every time, as long as it could be done in five minutes. So most of the time he was saying yes to, I'll introduce you to them. Or I can give you this piece of information. He was looking for a way to give his time but he put boundaries on it. I was chatting with someone in the back of the room. Remember me, Bill? Bill, talking about writing books. I've written two books that have sold a million copies. Thank you, Gary Keller, for partnering with me that day. (laughs) Nice to have his platform behind him, right? A lot of people, obviously, I'm writing a book. Can you help me out? And if people hadn't done that for me, there's no way we would be where we are today. 
And so I started teaching a class at Family Reunion, our annual convention. Said, if you're interested, just go to my class. That was my first stage. How do I leverage my time so I can say yes? Did that for three years. And then I realized I can't control whether I get to teach this class. So the last time, we videotaped it. And I made it a private YouTube video. And now when people ask, my assistant, I don't even get to the request anymore. She says, here's a copy of Jay's So You Want to Write a Book. It's an hour-long video. Um, If you watch it and still have questions, circle back and I'll set up some time. And so I set a conditional yes. If you'll spend an hour of your, invest an hour of your time, I'll invest this much time in you. And I was sharing, like, I think about one in five people comes back. It might be that the video answered all their questions or that simple condition was enough to make them go away, which means I probably would have wasted my time on them anyway, right? They were just curious. And so strategic giving becomes how people got to the top. And so you look at these companies, I'll model a couple for you, like Newman's own. Like how many people here have bought Newman's salad dressing. Well, 100% of the profits from that go to the Newman Foundation, right? So it doesn't mean you can't be a great business, but you can also be strategic and be doing good at the same time. So that's the big moral. I'd highly recommend it, but that was what we took away from it. So this is the current model that might show up in a book someday for the journey to giving. And it's funny when um, our friend over there was saying, give with your heart, it might actually start with that. Give your gratitude, give your time, give your money, give your leadership, give your wealth. If you're not wealthy, you can still give your leadership. If you're not a leader, you can still give money. If you can't give money, you can still give your time. And if you have none of the above, you can still say thank you. And um, a lady out in Vancouver has started a foundation where they challenge kids to do some small act of kindness every day for like 60 days. And we connected. And the person who I was teaching this class the last time said, oh, we've been doing this with my son. Every day he has to give the gift of gratitude just once. Because even as a four-year-old, he can still be grateful. And he cel- we celebrate that moment when he can thank someone for something they did in his day. I was uh, with a mentor, and I witnessed this firsthand. We were in the bathroom together. Sounds weird. Yeah, that's an interesting start. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I look for efficiencies everywhere, Alan. You call that your number one thing? <laughs> or the number two. Where's HR? Yeah, <laughs> we're going off the rails here. We were in the bathroom, and uh, I had just finished washing my hands, and I went to open the door, and I heard him, like, <clears throat> I turned around and looked, and he was looking at the janitor. Very quiet, body language slumped over, and he looked and said, excuse me, sir. And the janitor didn't think he was talking to him. He said, excuse me, sir. And the janitor looked at me and said, has anybody ever told you today that you're appreciated? And the janitor kind of cocked his head to the side and said, excuse me, he said, has anybody told you today that you're appreciated? The guy said, no. And he said, well, I appreciate you. Thank you. And I mean, you can see, like, it still hits me right now, like, My challenge to you, by the end of the weekend, can you find one person to share that with and see what that does for you? And that's just step one. So there's real statistical research behind this, too. I always have to geek out. If someone, you witness someone else giving, right? They're donating money. You're at a charity event. The simple act of thanking them for that act makes them twice as likely to do it again. And they've taught this to charities. Like, come on. You have donors. Are you actually saying thank you? 
Because when you do, they're twice as likely to say yes the next time. So there's a way that we can perpetuate giving, if nothing else, just by saying thank you. Um, I love Jeff's example. You can create great joy in the world by just being grateful for what people do every day that's often overlooked. I can remember with my daughter, you know, she had some behavioral issues. And the psychologist we went to for help, right, we needed some coaching on her parenting, said, you know, one of the great strategies you can do when she's acting up is just say, I see you. This is like very, almost like barely verbal, but I'd be like, I see you. And it was amazing how much the behavior went away just to be acknowledged as existing. I mean, that's a really low bar. I see you was the first step on that journey. So just noticing someone and saying thank you could be huge for their day. So everybody can do that. Our young people can do that. Our older people might need to do it more. Give your time. And this is huge for me. Um, I learned this from Mary Tennant, who was our president for many years. Um, she's now, um, she's the person who invented KW Cares, though Mo Anderson made it blow up into a huge charity. She did it in her office. And then we modeled what she was doing. And I remember she became our president. And the first year she witnessed our Christmas celebration and all of the obligatory gift giving, right? She probably got 40 bottles of wine from all of her employees. Right, what do I get my boss? Have you ever been there? It's a nightmare. And what's appropriate for me to give my employees? And so after that season passed, she came to the whole group and says, I would like your buy-in on a new program. Next year for Christmas, instead of giving all these gifts to each other, you can still give them to your friends, but we're not going to give any gifts in the office. Um, I'm going to challenge every department to give your time back to the community. And our Christmas celebration, we'll each stand up and say, well, we did. And it could be anything you choose, but our gift this year is not going to be to each other. We're all employed. Can we give back to the community? And I remember my department, I was in KWU that year. We started doing fundraisers for the children's settlement home. And it became addictive. And my first aha was I didn't feel, I was an investor, I didn't feel very empowered to give a lot of money. Right? My salary wasn't that high. We were still scraping you know, to kind of make things work. And my aha was is when we donate our time to things, we can not just set goals around how much we can give. We can set goals around how much we can raise. And so while we might only be able to write a check for $1,000, we can afford our influence and our hustle and knocking on doors. We could raise 10 times that much money. And by the way, it's just as gratifying. And giving your time is this amazing experience. And so, you know, you can go to your community. You can go to a charity. Charities always need another set of hands, right? They're almost always squeezing everything out of every dime. You can volunteer in your office. Even if it's not technically for the community, can you just give your time to other people, right? And then we started setting fundraising goals. That was huge for our department. And then we started doing it as a family. And you know, I'm going to go back to what Jeff's talking about. Everybody here who has a business or in one, at some point you've done formal goal setting for your business, right? Has anybody ever been on a, a goal setting retreat for their business? Right? Sometimes they, like, they pay for people to go to like a spa or a resort and they have their big annual conference to set the tone. It's crazy to me that we don't have a system for doing that for all the other goals in our life, our personal goals. So that's kind of just a segue. Like when Wendy and I, we've been doing this for 10 years, we do a goal setting retreat for our family just the two of us, an overnight babysitter. 
But getting, you know, what do we do in business? You don't do your goal setting in the office because then the phone rings and you're dealing with a customer. You set your out of office and you get out of the office. And so we started getting out of being having two kids 16 months apart around running between our legs so we could focus on the future and get out of being in our lives and start working on our lives. So that was the big idea, and it definitely works for your business too, but you can be, the same formality can be to all of these goals. So this is one of them every year, my wife and I, it's on my 411. Our goal this year is to raise $150,000 for our charity, which is about kids with cancer. Some of the people in this room get invited every year, Heroes for Children. I mean, I want to have fun too. Like, how do we have fun being uncomfortable? For me, it's playing hold and poker. But we're doing it. I get to lose all my money in the name of kids with cancer. I'm going to lose it anyway. <laughs> but it, it forces you to think bigger. I segued off what Mary had taught me and asked the question, well, what can we be doing in our personal lives? And I'd gone to this tournament as an attendee. I volunteered to be on the committee. And the next year, I was asked to lead it because I was the only person there setting and keeping goals around this activity. Right? So that's a huge step. Give your time. And I, I really think this is probably the most addictive of all. Because the leverage you have, even though it is your personal time, if you're a leader, we'll talk about that, you can raise so much good in the world with just a few hours a week compared to you personally doing it. Give your money. So the journey for us, and it can be for whatever you are, a lot of you guys are probably a lot more successful in business than I ever was. But my wife and I were wanting to do this journey and start really writing checks. What does that look like for us? And so we started a say yes fund. That was our first step. And I'm not saying that you need to do that. I'm just role modeling what we did. And I'll give you Bill Gates' model at the end of this. But for ours, we started saying, like, she worked in a real estate office. I worked in this office. And we figured at least 25 to 50 times a year, someone knocked on our door and said, my son is selling popcorn for his scout troop. Or I'm going to do the Movember thing and grow a mustache. Or I'm doing this thing for Run for the Water. Will you support me? And that's an awkward moment because you don't always want to give 25 or 50 bucks. And it feels almost obligatory when it's in the office. And so we were talking about that. And I think this was her idea. I said, what if we just said yes every single time? And I was like, that's kind of cool. So we figured out, because I'm the spreadsheet guy, we thought it was going to be 50 times a year. And we said, let's just say yes and give $25 every single time. And what's funny, in one year, everybody in the office figured out I was the say yes guy. <laughs> we actually didn't top 50, though. But it was really cool where you could say, well, tell me more. Instead of saying, tell me more about that, what, do you, what exactly do I get for that? Just say, oh, of course I will. And people were just like so grateful. It was almost a, a little gratitude dumped in there, too. So we just did that. And then every year we raised the number. You know, can we do $50 for our Say Yes Fund? Can we do $100 for our Say Yes Fund? And everybody now is going to be asking for Don's email address so they can ask me to support their charity. I get it. And I'm going to say yes, but I've determined the level at which we could say yes in advance. And at the end of the year, we just set that money aside. And that is our just money for just the fun giving. And that's just fun, being able to say yes all the time. Make it automatic. So what does Tom's do every time you buy a pair of shoes? That's part of their value proposition as a business. When you do this, we'll do this for them. And they've spawned a whole world of copycats. When you buy glasses, we'll give glasses to someone who can't afford them. So 
you can do this whatever you do. I was talking 90% of the funding for our in-house charity comes from people automatically giving from their closing documents. Every time I close a house, I will give $25. So Wendy was about three years into her real estate career, three and a half, and she did 100 transactions that year. And she had set it up to give $50 from every transaction to KW Cares. So y'all can do that math, $5,000, right? Her biggest benefit of it was at the Southwest Market Center. Whoever the top donor was for the month got a covered parking spot in the shade. And she was like, woohoo, did it again, right? Well, what we didn't know and what was, made us excited and then humbled and then angry was that we actually became one of the top 10 donors for the charity that year by giving 50 bucks a transaction. And I remember getting, what a privilege to be in a room with 10 people and Mo Anderson and celebrated at family reunion. And we were embarrassed. It's like, there are so many people who make so much more than we do. And we were just kind of doing this just as a, for a parking spot. And we got there, which shows you how few people think this way. And they just don't do the math. You know, we still give 50 per transaction, but we're going to do 200 this year, right? So we get to give $10,000 to charity. And we never notice it's gone. How many people here have had a 401k? Wow, I thought it'd be more. I'm used to talking to employees. But the whole idea is if you're going to give every check, like the first time you do it, you notice your check is smaller, but you just get used to not having it. It's automatically being removed. You can make giving the same way. So I don't know your answer. For us, it was transactions, right? This, for the next 10,000 books, every time someone buys a copy of The One Thing, we're giving $5 to the Red Cross we did that in response to multiple hurricanes. We were like, well, what's an organization that can help them all, right? So how can, that's, that adds up. And it's stuff that we're doing it out of proceeds, which is nice. It's not like you're writing a check before you earned it. This is money as you earn it. It's like a cost of sale in your business. So I would challenge you to find ways to make that a part of your business. One, it can become a part of your value proposition. And the really cool thing, if it's a part of your business, especially for any millennials that work for you, they love working at a place that's about more than just making money. If you're giving you know, money for the local dog shelter, they're going to work in your dentist office, not because they love sparkling teeth, because they love dogs. They're the ones who will stay around. And so their work becomes more than about work. Does that make sense? There's tons of research, whole books written about it. So you benefit as a business. People tend to get more customers from it. They definitely close at a higher rate because this is yet another thing that their money, the money is coming to them is doing for that customer. They get the benefit of giving through that donation. And people want to work there longer. So they have less turnover in their employment. So that would be my challenge. And then the other thing that Ben always talks about in the strategic element here, there's a couple of things. Match. You can use matching as a way to double your money or sometimes triple or quadruple it. Now, when Harvey hit, they obviously reached out to everybody who had a big business. And I remember getting on the phone with Wendy. I was like, well, how much are we going to give? Because we knew that the goal was to raise 20 million. I think, where are we at? About 5 million so far? I know we raised 4 million like in an instant, but the goal is we think it'll take 20 million to help finish the cleanup for the people that we know and we are working with that are affected. It's much bigger than when we started. And so Wendy and I wrote a check for $25,000. And at that time, I, I told Wendy, I said, you know, we're going to get asked again and again, but let's start here. 
And then I called my friend Ben and I said, we're going to do this. Is it wrong for me to advertise it? He goes, no, you need to inspire people. Great. What else would you do? He goes, well, I would reach out to everybody in my database. It's a chance to touch your database as a business. I was like, brilliant. Got on the phone with Wendy. Our admin started calling. We have a client list of about 500, right? Past customers, five, 600. Calling all of them and saying, I'm sure you've heard about Harvey. Our team is committed to 25,000. We're hoping that our database, if you're willing to come in for a part, that we can raise at least matching dollars for that. That was the script. Guess how much money she raised in the first hour of calling? $70,000. It's now $130,000. We had no idea. But the simple act of, I'll go first, what can you do, will blow you away, right? See it all the time. The other one, and this is for the business people in the room, how many people have ever been asked to sponsor an event? Right? Hey, will you help sponsor this training event for Bold? Maybe Don's called you, (laughs) right? Well, Ben's trick is this, and I think it's brilliant. He goes, do you have a presenting sponsor level? And a lot of small ones don't. There's typically a presenting sponsor, and then there's top sponsors, and there's everybody else. And everybody who's a sponsor is when you see that pastiche of all the logos, the presenting sponsor gets to be the FedEx Orange Bowl. And every commercial and every advertisement gets to have that announcement. So he started saying yes in his local community, said, I'll do it only on the condition that I get to be the presenting sponsor, that our business name is mentioned in all print, radio, and TV ads brought to you by the Ben Kenny team, that I have always the first option to be the presenting sponsor in subsequent years. You can't sell it to anybody else without me saying no. Guess what they all say? Yes. So instead of giving 1000 he's giving 5000 But he's getting about $40,000 worth of free advertising out of it. And amazing goodwill in his community. That, to me, is strategic giving. Right? So he might be saying yes fewer times. Instead of doing 1000 times a month for their sponsorships, I'm going to be a presenting sponsor and leverage that out bigger. So those are ways that you can give your money and get many, many multiples of it. That's just two examples. Right? Give your leadership. So you've started giving your gratitude. You've given your time. You've given your money. Everybody in this room, I'm going to declare you all a leader because you've displayed self-leadership, which means you came to spend multiple days getting better at what you do. All leadership starts for me with that as the foundation. Are you willing to be a leader of yourself before you lead others? So I'm just guessing that everybody here has leadership qualities. There are charities in this town and in your town that would kill to have access to what you've learned in this room over the next few days. They don't have any access to this. They don't have a budget to send their people here. And if you show up, it's not just I want to work and ladle out soup in the soup line. That's great. But do you have any board seats that are available? Do you need help? And we see accountants and lawyers do this a lot. That's actually part of the known career plan. If you're an accountant or a lawyer, you're going to be working on boards if you want to get ahead in life. That's just a part of their culture. And they're also incredibly valuable for those, and they're expensive if you don't have them for those nonprofits. Well, how would they benefit for someone with expertise in marketing, sales, whatever it is you do, there's probably someone out there where your leadership could make a huge impact. And you could also draw your employees into that. You know, that's what we've done with Heroes for Children. It was two moms who lost their daughters to cancer. 
and because they had a big support group, they didn't need anything. People were bringing them meals. And what they didn't know is that staying in a hotel, buying gas, all that stuff is not covered by insurance. And so they were looking at these families of nine sleeping in their cars, unable for their kids to do homework and losing their jobs because there was no net outside of their insurance if they had it. And they're all driving, of course, to Houston. And so they created the charity to do it. And we just kind of adopted it. And our team, by the way, if you go to the event on the 24th, October 24th, all of the people working the room are our team. And over the years, they all know that that's the night that they get to give their time back and see how much money they can raise. It's become part of our culture. So be a leader and raise your team to be leaders with you. You'd be amazed at how sticky it makes your business. And the final step, right, and this is where Gary's been for a long time, is how do we leave a legacy? How do we give of our wealth? What does that actually look like? And it's funny, other than paying an estate planning lawyer, there's not a lot of books about this. There's not a lot written about it. So we did try to model some of this. So this is Bill Gates. He's probably the most successful philanthropist in the world, right? The Gates Foundation. And he just benefited from Buffett's wealth as well. But the way his model looks like is this. When we read about it, 50% of his wealth, right, is driving into that charity. Of his other giving money, he's picked one additional charity. He's very specific. Who else will I sponsor? I have my foundation. There's something else that is valuable and important to me in the world. Save the whales, save the pets, save the shoelaces. I don't know. But I'm going to pick that one thing, and I'm going to give it a lot of money. And then his everything else is a lot like our Say Yes Fund. Because, right? of course, he's Bill Gates. Everybody who works for him at some point is saying, will you help my foundation? Will you do this? And he budgets around it and budgets for growth and impact. But he knew that he could leave a legacy here, he could make an impact here, and he could build trust and develop relationships here. And that whole say yes fund and that everything else, there's really sound research that people who are those people in their networks are trusted more by their peers and receive more referrals. So again, almost all of this lines up to being a studious business person. It's not just about being a good person. And the other one, and this is what Mark Zuckerberg's doing, establishing a foundation into which for Newman's own, 100% of the profits went to fund the foundation. And by the way, what does the foundation send back to the business? Business. Business, tons of it. Goodwill and business. If I, if I really do have a choice between salad dressings, I'm always going to pick Paul Newman because I know that it's actually a good deed. And it's really not bad salad dressing. Right? So. It's creating business for them just through that awareness. Um, there's so many stories about this. Has anybody ever shopped at Duty Free? Right in the airport, Duty Free? A guy named Chuck Feeney. There's a book called The Billionaire Who Wasn't. He very quietly, and I think it was the early 90s, you know, he was a billionaire. His stock holdings alone were worth, I think, $2 billion. He quietly moved 99% of everything he owned into his foundation quit the board of duty-free and set a goal to give all of that money away by 2016 and close the foundation by 2020. He not only became a billionaire, he wanted to give a billion before he died. And so he only lives in little apartments that are rented by the charity. I think he drew less than $100,000 in salary after being a billionaire, the Irish guy. 
right? But he's like the happiest man on earth too. And I, I haven't looked it up, but I'm pretty sure he was on track to have given all of that money away to education was his primary thing because that was what he benefited from as a working class thing, an Irishman. He was like, that education is the thing that he thought set him free. So he made that about that. So there's many, many examples of this if you start paying attention, right? The guy who does five-hour energy, I think he's pledged 90% of his wealth to a similar endeavor. I love that this is becoming something that's in vogue, that people want to have something later. And I, I, did you hear the interview with the five-hour energy guy? On how I built this, yeah. Yeah, and he had to get his son's permission. He's like, you know, by the way, everything I built is legally yours. Do you mind if I give it all away? But because they've been living that lifestyle already, they're just like, no, I'm confident with what I've learned from you. I can go build my own thing, but you do what you need to do. This is your wealth to do with. And it, I, mean, I was like, wow, I hope my kids are that cool. Thanks, Don. Thanks for having us. Well, there you have it. Jay Papazan's talk on why making more money can also lead to making more impact and how you can give a million dollars away strategically. Folks, we want to challenge you. How can you begin to give? What's the one thing you can do right after this episode? Immediately, what can you do? Can you give your gratitude? Can you give your time? Can you give your money? Can you give your leadership? Can you give your wealth? Start small. Think big in terms of your vision, like he was talking about Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, Mark Zuckerberg. Think big about the type of legacy that you can leave and start by going really small. It matters, folks. It really, really matters. We hope that you will choose to take action on this because I can share, even just starting with gratitude, doing what I shared in terms of of my mentor looking at a person like a janitor, which I, every time I see one now, I, I feel like I need to say something. I don't always do it, full transparency. Um, and, and when I do, when I don't do it, when I choose not to, I always walk away feeling like I miss something. The times that I do do it, it's more rewarding than I can put into words. We hope that you will take action. And we also hope that you will share this episode. There are too many people who are just trying to succeed personally, not recognizing the fact that the highest form of success is succeeding through others and helping other people. Please share this with them. As always, if you are not yet subscribed to the show, please go ahead and click that button so all future episodes like this will automatically be downloaded to your device. And if you have not yet left us a rating and review in iTunes, please do so or any other places you, you get your podcast feed. We love your feedback. We really enjoy reading them and they help us tremendously. Thank you. And we look forward to being with you in the next episode.